am here with the one and only CMO and co-founder of Uberflip, Randy Frisch. And we are going to talk about streaming on. Stream on. Right, Randy? Absolutely. That's that's the name of the game these days. That is the name of the game. Well, it's well, funny. I, I always use these analogies like, like Netflix. But now in the world that we're all living in, which is completely messed up, um, the reality is that analogy is often like three feet away from where we're working, right? Because like many of us are like sitting here and then we jump over to the right to go like sit on our couch and watch what we're ever going to watch. And it just feels personalized. And then we jump back to our computer and yeah, maybe sometimes if, if Sixth Sense is sending me a message, it feels personalized, but very often not the case. So are you saying that the message of stream on is more important now than ever? I'd say that we're we're kind of living in this digital vacuum right now is, is a term that I've used since early March. And you know, in this in this vacuum, we only have digital channels. Like think about it, we've lost so many of the channels that as marketers we're so used to using things like events, uh, things like direct mail. I, I know they sell a, a place, but but not in the same way that we used to leverage them so heavily. And what that's done is it's said, okay, well, we got this visit. I mean, the sales team, folks. Yeah. The sales, I mean, like, forget about wanting to go visit. You're just not welcome. Right. (laughs) You know, even if there's a part of the world that is opened up, you know, corporations for the most part are, are playing it very safe for good reason. And, you know, when you think about that, in one case, as a marketer, it's overwhelming. Like I'm overwhelmed. I'm not going to lie. I feel like this sense of loss of loss of control. But on the other side, I remind myself, like, we still have all these digital channels. They're just now more important than ever. And back to the point on streaming, you know, in a digital world, that's where we expect to run into the same experiences that we see on Netflix. We just talked about it. To me, I love Spotify. Like, um, you know, it's probably streaming in three places in my house right now. Uh, And and it, it, all these different solutions like Amazon too, they give us what we want when we want it. And then we tune into an email that feels completely out of context to understanding who I am, what I care about, what stage of the buyer journey I'm in, if we think more about B2B specifically. But this is the case B2C, B2B. You know, As consumers, we buy and we expect you to know who we are. What I hope is a final wake-up call for B2B marketers about putting the buying journey at the center of the universe, not our technology and our ability to automate. I like that. You know, a thing that I say that's somewhat similar to this is we all think about just running to leverage tech, but, you know, the, one of the best triangles we always see is that people process and technology triangle, right? It's it's such a sound framework to think through how we approach our day-to-day. And I always say, though, that the key is to realize that tech is the last thing you put in place. The first to me is people. Like, you know, people is what wins or loses in business. Like, good people help you win. You know, and then you need a good process to build upon. And you're in the case of what you're talking about, it's thinking about that buyer journey. And then when we want to scale it, that's when we have to start to think about tech. Right. That's where tech can start to help us. And, you know, it's interesting, even think, think about ABM 
as a you know, buzzword or term or how we've all adopted to it. Like those who I've seen be most successful with it, they, they essentially start with a very small number of accounts, which is in ways, you know, the proper definition of ABM, like we're going to really just target five to 10 accounts. You talk to some analysts, they'll say that's real ABM. But the reality is, I think where we're going longer term, and some of us are already there, is the expectation is to find ways to deliver that same personalization at scale. We have to, right? I think you have to. And I think, I mean, I guess what I've seen, and this has been my own experience with ABM, is if you focus on a small group of not well-selected accounts, and it's more about the tactic of direct mail and the campaign and less about understanding what's bespoke about these accounts, what do they care about, what are the insights that we need to be able to glean. Like, it doesn't matter. You're still just being annoying. They're not in market right. for what you do. So right. they don't need another mug. <laughs> sure. I mean, we, yeah. we always need another mug. Come on. That's right? true. That's true. This, this is my hockey mug. I'm very committed. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it, I think the point here is we all have to evolve and we have to continue to evolve. You know, the and and the expectations at scale are are that of what you know we would do to a one-on-one experience. I, I think I think for us to suggest that that we can get away with a one-to-one approach for this small handful, but not put any personalization to the others, it's just not going to cut it anymore. And that's you know, the, the bar is always changing. Like, think about it this way. This is the example I sometimes laugh at, which is, you know, if you go back, what, 10 years ago, and if any of us got an email from a big company like an Apple, or maybe it was Blockbuster back then, whoever was emailing us. Blockbuster. Yeah. Um, you know, they would start off that email and they'd be like, hey, Randy. And I'd be like, holy shit, how do they know my name? That is so cool. Like, how does this massive company know my name, right? 10 years later, present, when I get that email from that company, I'm like, fuck, how'd I get on their list? Oh, <laughs> I know. You're like, I'm screwed. I'm going to have to on email again. What, what is cool 10 years ago is not cool today. It's kind of, it's, it's staples, it's basic. What we want to do now is we want to get to that next level. So think about today, like, it's no longer Blockbuster, it's Netflix. And I don't know about you, but when, when I get that email from Netflix, I think I get it at least once a week. It's like, we've got something for you to watch tonight, Randy. But what, what makes me open up that email is that I know that the, the content that's in there is going to be stuff that I'm going to want to watch. And that's the expectation I think that we have to get to as marketers is to realize, you know, just throwing in your persona name you know, you're a demand marketer or you're this type of, of buyer, uh, depending on, on who's listening to this and who their customers are. That's not enough. That's just the basic. Great. You've got their attention, but show them that you can do something with that knowledge. How is Uberflip stepping up to this challenge? Well, by high-fiving with six sets, right? Uh, so there you True. True. So when you think about Uberflip, uh, in terms of what our platform does, before you get to all the fun, sexy stuff of personalizing, you do some less sexy stuff, which is tagging content, organizing content. Like, you know about tagging. Yeah, it's, it's, it is not sexy stuff. But like if you do that, 
you're setting yourself up for such scale and such opportunity. So now what I can do is I can say, okay, I've tagged this content accordingly. And if I'm using a data source like Sixth Sense, I can start to map to say, okay, the person has these interests. We have content that map those interests. Let's serve that to them. And, and that's our ability to start to say, okay, we're not just going to say, hey, we know your name, but rather we know your name, we know your industry. We're going to map those into an understanding of the content that you want, depending on the stage of the buyer journey you may be at. We tagged our content to the intent keywords, and we did that a while ago. Um, and of course, we've got the stage-based predictions, so we know if you're early or late stage. So th that's kind of what we've been testing out and proving out. And so now our personalizer, we have one hub. And like, I don't need to create, you know, if you think about an ABM one-to-one -one journey where it's like, okay, I got to go create a hub for like 100 accounts, 100 hubs. Absolutely. I have one. But it's, it's interesting. And I mean, it's we, so cool. We started this company in, in 2012. And I remember in 2013, once we actually had stuff off the ground, the idea of segmenting and personalizing content was like, we couldn't sell that to anyone. They were just like, no, we just put all our content in our resource center and people will find what they look for. We'll organize it yeah, under, yeah. under these different headings. Because you know, everyone's going to your B2B content yeah. hub and like. <laughs> so they were, you know, and then I remember this is really cool. There was a company called Live Person. They were one of our first companies in 2013 and they actually created event specific hubs. And we couldn't believe it that like there was all these variations. You know, you you fast forward, I won't take you through the, the different customers and the years, but it's been an evolution of, of getting to where we are now and, and how marketers are thinking so much more about the individual. So now the idea of an event hub is like, obviously I'll do that, but it's more, what do I start to do to create a stream for every account? Now, what we see companies do, I would say most often is they'll, they'll really handpick still for, you know, back to those five, 10 accounts that we know we're going to target and we're going to go heavy on. Um, and they'll still use some AI, some of the, you know, apps we have like Sixth Sense, but more so, you know, what they're trying to do as well is go after, you know, that one to few or that one to many with the same type of principles that we, we learn so much about in that one-to-one -one mindset. Yeah, what we've found on our stream on journey, which has been lively <laughs> to say the least, is we can actually understand the persona and the buying stage and the keywords. And then we write to the keywords. So rather than build a persona map by going around and interviewing and somewhat guessing, we, it sort of lives and breathes. And then every quarter we can see, okay, this is what these buyers care about. So the bingo card kind of resets every quarter based on the most relevant topics. Is that on the content person or is that more like a demand person on your team? Like it, it's a big tricky question right now of like, who the content person. Interesting. And she's got, so it's our, and we have an SLA with, sales and our BDRs that we want every quarter, the top four to five keywords covered. Very cool. Tell us about this uh, partnership or the marketplace that you've got rocking. 
So we built a marketplace so that companies like Sixth Sense and others can go and build apps. They're going to complement uh, our platform. So the Sixth Sense one we, we unpacked earlier, which is going to allow someone to match those intense signals and deliver the right content on the fly for every account. Also do things like through, we have an, into, uh, an app with Clearbit that allows us to throw in the logo of the company on the fly through that data that we're getting from Sixth Sense as well. So everything starts to interconnect. Um, we can also trigger a chatbot through something like Drift to pop up and continue to leverage some of that intent data. So it's, you know, the reality for marketers, these are all the things that we're struggling with to piece together. And a marketplace is designed to make it faster to get up and running and open up new doors that may not even be on our product roadmap for the next 12 months, but maybe a top priority to one of our customers or one of our partners, you know, to go and build on their own. Who's crushing it? Who's like, just whose hubs are the best of the best? Oh, I want to go learn. That's, that's a good question. I, it's, you know what, let's, let's look at this from the lens of COVID. We had companies who use our platform like Medtronic, uh, who's in the healthcare space. They make uh, sure. ventilators uh, for those who are oh, well, like they're doing okay. Yeah. So, I mean, demand is not an issue, but very interesting is they have this field sales team that would go into hospitals to help clinicians use the ventilators that, that are, are purchased. And they lost the ability to go into the hospital. So they had to turn to a digital channel and start to create content more around guiding customers and helping educate them the best ways to use the products. And the coolest one I think is um, 3M. So 3M is a customer of ours. Uh, as we all know, they make masks. Um, and what they were able to do is they were able to spin up destinations for companies, uh, for, for their customers. Again, it wasn't an issue of demand, but people need to understand how, how yeah. to use their products. So like they, you know, one example they gave to me is like, everyone's growing a beard now, like beards are in. <laughs> like, how do you wear a mask with a beard? Right. Like that's a big, big question. They have to educate around that. They need to make sure that they're. they're Maybe they can partner with Dollar Shave Club. Exactly. <laughs> so, that should be in their marketplace. <laughs> so, but, but all these companies, they're doing the things that we talked about uh, earlier. They're using, you know, a lot of the ideas that we talked about in terms of what do they stream? What do people, what are people going to look for? You know, as, as Jesse, who works at 3M, told me, he's like, you know, we didn't go and create all this content. We just had it tagged properly so that once we realize this is the priority, we can prioritize that content. All right. Awesome. Well, that's like our first part of the show. The second part of the show I've been really looking forward to because I've, I've picked out some really good topics for you for talking nonsense. Nice. Bring it on. So uh, talking nonsense. We're going to do six-ish topics, about a minute each, no more. Okay. And I'm just going to throw them at you, and we'll see what we can kind of get through here. Bring it on. Um, the first topic is your hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Like, how do you, how does this happen? Yeah, it's, well, I'm being straight right now. Let it go. Let That's it what I yeah, I'm trying to be safe right now, and uh, that means no haircuts. Like in Toronto, 
there are no salons open still. Um, I was probably due for a haircut when this whole thing kicked off. And it just gets to a point where it's it's just there. And, uh, you know, you got you to work with what you got. So would you say this is like a two-foot circumference now? Maybe uh, a foot and a half? <laughs> on the weekend, like I, I usually do a workout in the morning, you know, a little later in the morning, though, so I won't shower in the morning. If I'm jumping on a call on the weekend, people are like, "Where? What is going on?" And, you know, after after a night's uh, sleep, it's a it's a little wilder. Oh, I love it! I love it! All right, next topic: talking Canadian. All right, what do you want to talk about? I want like we got process. If I, if I, how many have I dropped that you're just like, who is this guy? See, I speak to Americans all day long, so I. It, I don't even hear the American version because I, I speak Canadian, I guess, but I, I hear both as equal. About 80% of our business is in the U.S. And as much as I love our Canadian customers, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta tweak to the masses. All right. This is, this is one of my favorite topics. Gate or no gate? Ooh. I, I, I have strong opinions. I hate the word it depends, but I think... No, that's not- but I, to I'm going to tell you what it depends on more specifically. It depends on the time and, and when we're dealing with this. Right now, people don't want to fill out CTAs. They are in learn mode. If they're not in purchase mode, they are thinking to the future. You think before they wanted to? They were like before yeah. they were more willing to. I think I think we've got to realize it's time to adapt. I'm not anti-gate. I think there's a time for a gate, but then there's also time where we can learn a lot of what we're trying to gate through uh, you know partners like Sixth Sense, uh, through you know other ways that we can fulfill that data um, at the right time when we get someone on the call. I you know what I don't like is long forms. You know, to me, the most information you should be asking someone about on one uh, at one step is maybe two or three pieces of information. All right. All right. Um, fuck content marketing. Yeah. How'd that come to be? <laughs> so I, I wrote that as a blog post. Uh, I wrote it as a blog post. And you just kept going? No, it's funny. Usually, I mean, this isn't a time where we would still jump on planes and when we didn't have Wi-Fi on planes. And I would like jump on there and I'd have no connectivity. I'd pump out a a blog post. I'd send it to my team. They'd be like, nice, one last post for us to write this week. And I sent that one and they're like, no way I'm posting that. (laughs) We're going to offend everyone. And it took me a few weeks to, you know, to even get them to look at it in a couple of months until they were ready to go live with it. And and it's realizing that I'm I'm not saying as an example that I don't love content marketers. I think they're extremely talented. It's a really hard skill. My point of, of the F-bomb there is let's not even bother with content marketing if we're not going to leverage it. And the stats that are out there from companies like Serious Decisions show us that like 60, 70% of the content we create never even gets used. There's no point in that, right? We talked about that earlier today, Lani, where like, you know, what content am I going to prioritize? Prioritize the content that's going to get built into our campaigns, into our programs. And that's the part that Fuck Content Marketing is about. It's really a book more for demand marketers, um, but hopefully it gets content marketers and, and demand marketers to talk. Hey, I love it. It's okay. We're PG-13 here. It's all good. It's all good. My kids are like, you know, dad can say it. Why can't we say it? 
Uh, last. What's the most random rubbermaid product that you have to sell? Oh, that's a good question. Most random. I mean, the weird thing, so this is a long time ago. Like I, I was working at Rubbermaid in, in 2002. It's, it's almost 20 years, but I can still tell you the product SKU numbers. Like a 2215 is a tote that's 60 liters, right? And I know it's liters versus, you know, that's because I'm Canadian. But, uh, but you know, to me, it's, it's those things that trigger you in the moment. Like you see, you know, a, a, a Tupperware, or we call them takeaway uh, product on your, on your can, you're like, Oh, I know that SKU number. I know what it's sold for at Walmart. That's it's, it, it creeps me out sometimes. Cause I have these recurring dreams about all these things. So now my favorite part of the show is I need to know your colossal fuck up, like the biggest one, huge. Oh boy. Uh, you did yesterday. No, not, <laughs> to choose from. I, I had a business that I was in, involved in. It was a family investment a number of years ago, and it went completely wrong. I mean, we we just got duped by a guy who was a crook. Um, we ended up having to prove civil fraud um, oh through this, which yeah, I, I watched too much Law and Order to think that's like a weekly thing. You know, but it, apparently it's hard to like prove civil fraud and it, it, it doesn't happen often. We, we succeeded in that, but it was a brutal three years, you know. So I look at that in one way and I'm like, that was the worst mistake, the worst thing I got involved in. But on the other side, you know, it, it was a very expensive education, but it was an education. Right. And I don't think I would have been pushed by my wife to follow more of a passion and get involved in tech the way I did after that. So, you know, you can look at all these things and say like, oh, that was such a screw up to go and do that. You know, it cost me so many years and, you know, it took me off course, but it also lets you reset in that moment. And, you know, the reset brought me in to, to find my co-founder and, you know, within a year or so we were, we were starting Uberflow. Randy, awesome episode. Always a pleasure to catch up. Can't wait to talk soon. Thanks so much, Laddie. This was a ton of fun. Love talking sense and nonsense.